Okay. So, we're back. Because <laughs> we took a really long hiatus. We never started. Uh, this is the art of story, and my guest today is a really good friend of mine named April Cameron. She is an amazing storyteller as well as an amazing actress who was just yeah. nominated for a Leo, which she is turning absolutely bright red right now in her embarrassment. That's <laughs> uh, what I do. Yep, that's what you are. <laughs> She's very bashful. You're the, is, is that a seven dwarf, like bashful? Yeah, I think that's the dwarf I would be. I would probably you be grumpy. You should have me in high school. <laughs> in high school, this is like this dorky little drama kid with braces. And someone would be like, hey, April. And I would just suddenly be beat red. And they would feel really <laughs> bad. And I'd be like, no, it's not, it's not you. I can't. And then so many people thought I had a crush on them. And it was like. No, you're like, my face. There's nothing. Don't flatter yourself. <laughs> this is rosacea and anxiety. <laughs> my face is deceiving me. I always thought I was grumpy, but. Maybe I'm more sleepy. You're Doc. I'm Doc. You are the leader of the team. Yeah, in an annoying way, you but us an endearing all how way. To use <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, let's go. Uh, adorable. Yep. So the anecdote that I thought of for you, because April's a. If you guys don't know, she is queen. She's Queen Bay. She's like the boss lady. I was in. What? I don't. This is your show. You are. I think you're a boss. As much as you're like, I am barely keeping it all together. Yeah, that's the truth. So I'm glad that's the. That is the tone you put out in life. Yes. I was in England. Family trip. This was 2010. We went to Wales because my aunt lives in Wales, in Glendilo specifically, for all those Welsh listeners out there. If there is such a thing. Shout out to Wales. Shout out to the dragons. Um, they, we, my mom is obsessed with quilting. She's actually quilted the quilt that April is sitting on that is on my couch. So I have a new one coming that she made. Like yeah, it's very nice. It's, it's a purple and what is that? Burgundy? Anyways, we're getting sidetracked. I'll say fuchsia. Fuchsia, fuchsia. Um, and my mom wanted to go to this quilt shop and uh, we'd been hiking, which is what my dad wanted to do. So we went. And there was all these Range Rovers parked and uh, like really fancy Mercedes, like really expensive cars, but like all terrain expensive luxury vehicles. And so my mom starts walking up to the shop and there's all these very nice dressed like Londoners and they have this crest on them. And my mom said that that was, she's like, oh, that's the crest of Prince Charles, the, the Prince of Wales. And I was like, huh? She's like, oh, he, he must be here. And at that exact moment, Camilla comes storming by us. And uh, we were like, okay. And so my mom just doesn't really think. And my dad was like, wasn't that just Camilla? And she would go into the shop. And uh, we weren't allowed to go in there. Like, oh, sorry, we're actually closed. Have you come a far away? And my mom's like, oh, we're from Canada. And then they're like, oh, uh, let me see what we can do. And then they let my mom in. There's two parts of the shop. They let my mom go upstairs, which is where the quilts were. But my mom really wanted to go into this wool blanket section. Anyways, so we come downstairs and these like really official people, this one woman was like buying a bunch of quilts and she like had this like really official purse. She's like, oh yes, like we'll get this one and this one. And then this guy comes in and he's like, oh, the prince is coming. Everyone look alive and blah, blah, blah. Everyone look alive. Is that what it was like a beat here? Oh, I wish. Get your shit together. 
And then we all sort of, and I, at this point, like, my hair is windswept. I have no makeup on. We're all in, like, hiking gear. Oh, yeah, it was like, yeah. I wish it was like that, but it was like, I probably looked like I just got sucked in like a wind tunnel or like <laughs> the cyclone dryers at the theme park. And uh, then in walks Prince Charles. And he was like very charismatic. He mm-hmm. shook my hand and I awkwardly curtsied as he shook How my hand. I have not heard this story before. I don't know, it doesn't come up much, I guess. But his grip, he has a very firm grip, very firm. And when he shook my dad's hand, I think my dad imploded. My dad's from Britain, so I think he was like, oh, well, oh. Because he's also Charles, so. <laughs> and then my mom was like, oh, nice to meet you. Shook his hand. And he was like, are you admiring the quilt? She's like, oh, yes. And he's like, oh, uh, you don't sound like you're from here. She's like, oh, I'm from Canada. I came all this way. And he's like, oh, they're lovely. And then him and my mom were just getting chummy chummy. And then he left. Was he hitting on her? I don't know. I bet he was. My dad was not about to do anything. You know, he was about to lie back and think of England. You know As what I mean? you do <laughs> when a lord wants your wife. <laughs> You clear the way. Yeah, I think he pissed off Camilla. Like, she, he was in the doghouse, so he's like, mm, next one. I don't know. Oh, my God, I love it. But that story reminded me of you because you are queenly and charming. Stop. Thank you. I, I don't know, know if you thought so, of me though. that way. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I think I'm a surf ragamuffin. I'm <laughs> <laughs> you see me as a queen. Oh. Oh, start. <laughs> Anyways, so now this comes to the point where I'm going to ask you how we met, but I want to hear your side because uh, sometimes people have different sides of how they met. So how, how did we meet? It's already been quite the love story, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Real whirlwind. <laughs> I met you because uh, <clears throat> there was a, a young man you were seeing at the time who I was working with. Mm. Um. And we were sort of going to be creative collaborators. And then a couple times you would, like, come for coffee. And we would, like, get to talking. And I was like, wow, I really um, have a lot in common with Carolyn. So it got to the point where I'd be like, where's Carolyn? I invite Carolyn and stuff. And then, you know, that was, like, three years ago, wasn't that? Four years ago that we first met. I think it was four, yeah. And set, right. And, you know, life happened, and this this uh, person you're with at the time, like, I'll always recommend him as a filmmaker and stuff, but I think we sort of grew apart creatively and, and uh, ethically. And you yeah. and I are just have so much in common. Yeah. Not just as actors and storytellers, but also just women and yeah. our principles and what we care about in the world. And so it just felt like a friendship that was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, I. That is actually pretty accurate to my thing. Not leaving anything out. No. Yeah, I just. I think I. I had either I filmed something or I'd gone to an audition and then I went to North Van and met you guys when you were on the back lot of uh, North Shore Studios. Studios. Yeah. Yeah. Did I meet you before that? No. You know what? That was the first time we met. Yeah, I'd heard a lot about you. you. Yourself on the car. Yeah. I was like making it bounce up and down. You're very helpful. Yeah, I just threw myself into oh it. Oh my god, we were babies. Oh, so young. Early twenties. And we didn't know. Maybe to do that again. Oh yeah, God. Oh We didn't know no. how hard life was gonna get. Is oh. that what you're gonna say? <laughs> we just didn't we had no idea, I think, like what auditioning and like having agents that actually worked for us. 
was like yeah. at that point. Because at that point, I had an audition like once every six months, and I yeah. think you didn't have an agent? You had an agent? No, I you... did. I had already booked a couple things, but I didn't audition that often. And then, right. But then it kind of would be a hit or a miss. And then my agent started selling like uh, health products. Yeah. And, like, protein powder. So she'd email all her clients being like, buy this, you know, you know, protein way. And I'd be like, do you know what's filming in the city right now? <laughs> <laughs> like, it was just... Is, uh, is, uh, I can't think of a show that's now ended. But it would be like, you know, a zoo snow filming? Well, no, she was of the generation of Vancouver agents who were like, when X-Files was a thing Oh, here. when you're, when you and had to turn down agent. clients. Yeah, she was a big agent. And then it was like... I think you need to admit you don't want to do this anymore. You have, and she's like, it's all, it's all sci-fi right now, and I was like, no, not anymore. That's not like. And as if you couldn't do sci-fi, which I've never seen. I think it was on at that time. It was still filming. X Files wasn't, but it that was like Vancouver was like the sci-fi place, but it it was slowly not anymore. And I just remember anyway. I love my agent now. She's a doll. Yeah. What's a the badass, thing? a doll. She's a badass. Who She's like queen. A She's a queen. <laughs> We're gonna have a theme here this episode. Queens. Yeah. No, I think um, I really wanted to have you on because I've read some, read your stuff, and I've seen previous things you've been in, and I think you're just supportive. like, you're a great storyteller. I love stories, and I think you are, you're doing it to speak to the soul, and so I'm incredibly happy that you're coming on and entertaining these listeners and myself selfishly That's for the next special. hour. Thanks for saying that. That's really of course. Lovely. I think a lot of people, <coughs> you know, some of them are in this to make money and some people tell a story that's been told a thousand times and who knows, like, you can always have a different take. Well, that's what I always say to my, something I often say to my students, especially the older ones because I also teach kid drama. And it's like, you're going to hear over and over again how hard this is and how competitive it is and how many people are scrambling for that part. And I'm like, so I'm not going to say that anymore, but you you have to want it and you please do it for the right reason. Mm. If you're here and trying to get agents because you want the limelight and you want the attention and you want to feel pretty, you know, with Vaseline on the lens, like I've basically said like, not the little kids, but I've basically said to a lot of people I know, like, clear the way. Unless you actually want to touch people and get through to people and tell meaningful stories, unless you would be doing this in any era. Mm. If you were, only if you were telling stories around the fireplace and your ancient man and your <laughs> job was to tell those stories about the stars hundreds and hundreds, thousand years later, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Whenever, whenever that was, thousands of years ago, in this current times, if you still want to, can I do that over? Can we edit it? Because I just sounded really stupid. No, you didn't. We're <laughs> leaving this all in. a thousand in. years ago, ancient man. Well, a um, hundred thousand years ago. Yeah. But a thousand years ago was still pretty ancient if you think about it. I sound so stupid, though. You do not. I say to them, if a hundred thousand years ago, if you were living then, and you would want to be telling stories about the stars and animals in your life, and then like fast forward now, and you still want to be telling stories, you are a storyteller. If you just want attention and and validation, like there are so many other people who are trying to enter this industry, like please clear the way, yeah. unless you're willing 
to do it for the right reason. Like, that's a big thing for me. Anytime I'm in a green room, you know, before an audition, and there's just sort of sometimes this really soulless feeling in that room where everyone's competing and, like, snarling at each other and doing their makeup, and I'm always like, I don't know why you're here. Maybe you are here for the right reason. Yeah, and you're just insecure. Like, this is a bummer. Yeah, it's too hard. It's too long. Get out of the way. Unless you're doing it because you want to move people. I always help people. Like when they show up and they look a little confused. And I'm already checked in and then I'm like, oh, they're not taking headshot resume today or checking here. And then I just like sit down and always one girl, sometimes more, because I don't normally audition with other guys, give me the look of like, shush, why'd you help them out? And it's like, why? It's not going to matter. It's so out of our control. The only time someone should shush you in the green room, other than if you're being too loud and distracting, is if you're directly sabotaging someone. And that happens too. Oh, yeah. And people who get up in your face or, like, ask you a question or look you up and down. And they have, like, I remember I had a voice teacher who called them stragglers. The people who, after their audition, they hang around and sort of talk to people. And it's very... There's a really clear intent of, like, wanting to to get in your head. Mm. And it's such an ugly thing to do. That, I think, is the only time to shush someone. Where it's, like, you're yeah. helping someone. Yeah. And I would hope that someone, like, if I looked back ass, like, ass backwards, that I was like, oh, where am I going? Someone would be like, oh, it's this way. And I have had people do that. Yeah. And I'm- if someone's, like, I remember I had, there was one girl, she was, like, 10 years younger than me. And we were auditioning for the role. And, uh... And she was so prepared. She reminded me of me when I was her age. Oh. She was black and about 5'11". <laughs> yep. And she was so prepared, but she left her sides. Like, she forgot her sides. And oh. she was panicking. And I went, you can have mine when I'm out. Because she was a couple people behind me. Which I'm happy to do. Because that's what you do. I don't need the sides anymore. Yeah. And she has her work done and she cares and she's never going to do that again. So yeah. what am I going to be like, oh, tough break? Like, no, you you give back and you're warm. That's so nice. I would just, if I'd forgotten sides, I would have been like, oh, crap. And like pull them up on my phone or something. I can see myself doing that. No, I think I would be like, sorry, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can I have the money? I'm so sorry. So I'm getting better at asking for help. I just have to humiliate myself in the process. Yeah, because I think it's different than people who always ask to go ahead of you. It's fine. Like, once in a while, I'm, like, if it's someone, I'm like, yeah. And I don't have somewhere to be. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. I don't care. If they are respectful and polite. Yeah. Then I'm talking about the people who always <laughs> do it. And you're like, I know you don't work in the daytime. Oh, the people are like, oh, there's always someone who let me go first. Just like, whatever. There's always someone. Uh, I was on Arrow. Yeah. <laughs> like, those people will always be there. <laughs> We're talking so much. We're throwing some shade, but you know what? Who cares? Whatever. Are we? Uh, maybe not. Didn't name names. <laughs> we did not. <laughs> Those of you listening know who you. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. No, there's no specific person I was talking about. By the way, I'm just talking about like that <laughs> Vancouver actor in the skinny jeans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I'm talking about. I was at an audition the other day, and me and the casting director had the exact same outfit on, and I was like, "Nice outfit," and she was like, "Oh yeah, it did not play well." <laughs> I think she was like laughed a little, but also maybe she was like, oh, right. <laughs> we have the same outfit on. <laughs> oh, it was just skinny jeans and a black tee, but. 
You rock skinny jeans. <laughs> Doo doo. I don't know what that was. People at home could not see that. They never will. There's thank a God. little dance. <laughs> there was a little like. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So do you? Well, but that joke I made about how she looked like me when I was her age. I'm white with brown hair and I'm five two. Yeah. Really I was about to say I was joke. like, if you. I just realized like, some people might not know. <laughs> Like, I thought that too. I was like, they're gonna look up April Cameron and, and your photos. Nah, she's a black girl. Dumpling. <laughs> yes. um, what do you? Because you you mentioned that this girl was like, oh, you can have my sides, and she'll probably never do that again. So, is there any time in your life where you like learned a lesson like that, or you like something happened and you saw you suddenly saw the world in a different way, like you were changed forever, like a story you heard, a song, a poem. Um, oh, so not not specific to auditioning? Anything, really. If you have an audition story, I'd love to hear it. No, I mean, auditioning, that was just a process of learning to protect myself when I'm in a bubble, and if anyone is glaring at me or saying a shitty thing, it's just noise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I had a lot of, like, because oh, of the way I look, I get patronized a lot. Yeah. And so I have to, like, lower the register and assert <laughs> myself. And I remember one girl... And I put this in a script. She was like, aw, have you had an agent long? Oh. And I was like, oh, five years. And she's like, oh, they totally like your look. And it totally wasn't a compliment. Like, so just stuff like that, it's like you're just noise. Like, I'm in my personal life, I'm super sensitive. But I have to say in the green room and on set, like, I'm a lot tougher. Mm. I'm a lot better at, like, <clears throat> cutting out that noise. Yeah, I think there were times that... Maybe the, maybe I just grew out of it, but when I first started acting and I'd get a redirect in class, even I would take it so personally, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm a terrible actor," and it it happened a few times on like short films, and I would like beat myself up, and everyone's like, "It doesn't serve you, it doesn't serve you, you've got to stop." And then when I did my first commercial, the director was very much like, and in the nicest way, like a like a traffic cop director, like he was like, "Go here, do this, blah blah blah," and he nice guy. Um, and it was like, he wasn't mean about it, but he just had a very specific look and he wanted a certain thing. And I just, it didn't bother me. It was like the first time it didn't bother me. I was like, I'm helping, I'm getting his vision across. And I think it was maybe because it was like money on the line, but also maybe I felt respected. Mm -hmm. But then I also, maybe it's just like tons of people being like, this doesn't serve you. This doesn't serve you. And I finally listened. For me, it's like slowly breaking down that wall, like one brick at a time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just asserting myself and being tough, not taking things personally. Mm. Like, I'm better than I was, but. Yeah, I took a casting director workshop and the, I did the, I'd worked with a coach. And so I went in and I did my version that the coach was like, you should do this. It'll be great. And then he, the casting director, who's no longer a casting director, uh, is now a director, but I won't mention who it was. I did it. And everyone's quiet. And then he just goes, what the fuck was that? That's so wrong. Do it again. But And then he sort of just directed me. And I had this outer body experience because I knew there was a part of me that wanted to just like burst into tears. But then this other part of me was like, just had this outer body experience and almost protected myself. And I took the notes and I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll, and I redirected. And he was like, see, that's so much better. And it ended up being good. But I remember that was like a moment in my life of, oh, I don't have to, like, I don't, I don't have to react a certain way because I've done that before or that's because we're supposed to react that way. I can 
I'm in much more control than I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I was at CAP, um, I did this like weekend workshop. I cannot remember their names and they don't work together anymore. It was a man and a woman and acting. They're both voice coaches and acting coaches and they're like from New York top Broadway actors and then they would do this like musical theater like camp in in um Florence I think like in Italy oh wow and um I was one of the like few acting students who did the musical theater workshop because I also do musical theater but I chose acting for stage and screen at CAP and they coach I sang Gertrude's Notice Me Horton from Seussical and this guy, he pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. And I, I had all these breakthroughs and it was huge. And he pointed to me into the class and was like, that is a comedic actor. And it was a big deal for me. Monologues were next after lunch. I went up and did a monologue from In the Boom Boom Room by David Rabe, I think. And um, he just went on and on and on about how horrible it was. How oh. horrible... He didn't believe it. It was masturbatory. He went to the bathroom, took a pee, came back and kept going. It went like this lashing. And I was 19 and I was devastated. But it was also, I just sat there. And I think a lot of there's a, a acting student tendency to be like, oh no, but this is what I meant, like blah, blah, blah. And I just sat there and I just took it. And I learned from it. And part of me was like, he's also an asshole. Like, learn from this what you can. He's right. But he's also a bitchy asshole. You're like, he's from Broadway. He's just a dick. So, like, that was a a big deal. Good and bad. I learned a lot. It humbled me. I learned I held my ground and composure under that kind of, like... Pressure. Yeah. Pressure cooker. Yeah. But that haunted me for a long time. But they, like, they don't work together anymore. No one's ever heard from them. Like, it doesn't matter. Right. They're they're not, like, a, a big... But I know what you're saying of the times in your life where you're almost, like, for me, maybe it's just, like, being a woman or whatever, shocked by your own strength. Yes. Oh, my God. That is, like, the theme of this, like, year, even though it's... Oh, that's... Yeah, we're halfway June. Through. Oh my God, it's June. Yeah. That's been a theme for me. It's just like, oh my God. But you know, you're my dear friend. You know how much that's happened in the past year. Yeah. A lot of heartbreak, a lot of death, a mm. lot of change, a lot of failure, a lot of success. Yeah. And I just feel like I'm standing and there's like this shit storm like blowing on <laughs> me and past me and it hasn't blown me away yet. Yeah. Like, that's one thing this year I'm like, oh, I'm a lot stronger than I used to be. If all this was happening four years ago, I would be, I would have had a conniption. Well, that's true. Like, I, there is, someone told me once, and they're like, you can tell I read a lot of health, uh, self-help books. And I was like, okay, what's going to come out of her mouth next? And then she was like, you have to be really careful of the stories you're telling yourself. And at that point, I had just, when I was like, I'm not writing a novel. I am not writing the next Harry Potter. I am not writing The Lion, the Wind. Like, you know, I'm not... Is this Brené Brown? No, this was just a, a woman that I knew through, like, a friend from acting school. And, because uh, I was saying, like, I was like, I feel like everyone hates me. And she was like, careful, that's a story. And it makes sense. Like, we're all storytellers. And I think to cope, especially with, like, 
traumatic events. You can tell a story. And so there's been times in my life, like I remember once I had this $20. I think I was 10 or 11. And I, you know, that's a lot of money to a kid who's like 12, 10 or 11 who doesn't have a job. I didn't have a job at that point. My parents didn't really give me an allowance. They would like give me money once in a while. And uh, this kid tried to take it. And I always felt like I was really weak and you know, guys would tell you like, oh, girls are weak, blah, blah, blah. That was like kind of a big theme growing up. And then he tried to take the money and I just grabbed his wrist and I twisted it until he let go. And I was shocked that I was able to like twist this guy's wrist to let go of my $20. Oh my God. And so I had this moment of like, oh, I'm, I'm tougher than I thought and I'm yeah, okay. I to trust myself a bit more. And it's like, no, yeah. violence is never the answer. <laughs> yeah, no, but I it's like. like the, I've had so many moments of like, oh, that's what I'm made of? Yeah. That didn't just, like, knock me over, and I just didn't get, like, you know, blown away in the wind and, you know, discarded <laughs> in the ocean. Like, I actually held my ground. and Yeah. And I'm intact. Like, I, I mean, you remember when I almost, you were there when I almost got attacked. Oh. When that guy followed me to the bathroom. Yeah, that was so creepy. I've not but gone back I, to that place. Hell no. But I... <laughs> I learned that night how much I can trust myself. Yeah. And also not allowing, like, I remember back in the day, I would let so many things that were offensive and, like, trespasses against me that I was just like, well, I don't want to be rude and all this stuff. And now I'm like, no. I say how I feel and allow people to have the reactions they're going to have. But it's much better than sitting there and then later being enraged because you didn't stand up for yourself. Worst. So. Worst feeling ever. Yeah, no, now I assert myself better and I follow my instincts and go, this isn't going to happen. You know, like I'm stopping this here. I'm blocking the door. I'm running away. I'm slamming your foot with my heel. (laughs) I'm breaking your nose. Whatever it takes you're not touching me, you're not hurting me, you're not talking down to me, you're not trampling me, you're not patronizing me, you're not harassing me, so on and so on and so on. That all women, of all, like, whether you're empirically beautiful or not, like, women Mm. are just, like, it's just a reality for us, and I'm just not doing it anymore. Well, that's what's so great, like, Wonder Woman, I don't know if you've seen it yet. Not yet, but I'm reading all this amazing stuff. Yeah, like I just saw today. It was made by women. It's about a woman and it's successful. (laughs) What is this witchcraft? It's witchcraft. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know. And like just so many people getting so upset about the women only screenings. And and it's like they're not banning men from the the screenings. It's just like. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's just not. It's. But I, Patty Jenkins, the director, just posted something on her Twitter that she got sent from a friend who teaches kindergartners and they're just hilarious. Like one of them is the boy threw some garbage on the ground and the girl picked it up and was like, don't pollute. This is why there's no men in Thimerica. (laughs) (laughs) That was just so funny. And, um, you know, hearing a boy say, I watched wonder. I had, I've always wanted a super, I have a Superman lunchbox. And once I watched wonder woman, I asked my parents to order me the wonder woman lunchbox and just things like that. Cause the film, doesn't tear men down at all it's just saying that like when you give space to both sides of the population and you fight for love over hate you you're what you can do is really great so Mm -hmm. it's also just amazing to watch robin wright charge down the beach on a horse and just 
I mean, annihilate Germans. <laughs> who doesn't want to see that? Oh, I, she, I am she's so a babe. Oh my god. Like, you're just like, whoa. Because you know those posts about like, oh, my princesses turned out to be generals. I saw someone who was like, oh, so that's a leg down? Oh, they're, they're fucking different. What is, what is that? What, is, what does that even mean? They didn't get a demotion or a leg down because they went from princess to general. Um, you know, Princess Buttercup, she was pretty badass. Yeah, I actually remember watching that film being like, she's no sissy. Wesley <laughs> figured out how to get through the woods and away from the R.U.S.s, but if he wasn't there, Buttercup would have done it herself. Yeah. It was like, oh, he's going to do the work for me. Push- like that, but she totally could have done it on her own, and she was fearless. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. I remember With eyes like the sea after a storm. Oh, <laughs> so good. True love. <laughs> that is I mean, that that's such one a great is, story. That's in my soul, that story. Oh. Will forever be in my heart. It has a lot of really good uh, morals and like uh, motifs. Is that the right word? I don't know. Yeah, Through lines in there. Yeah. And uh oh, you killed my father prepared to die. So Oh, so great. And when he's in Homeland, like, oh my god, he's so good. He's so good. That's such a great show. That show is crack. <laughs> the first season was crack. I know, I'm waiting you for the next one to come on Netflix. It my hands, yeah. <laughs> um, what were you, like, did you watch movies and stuff on repeat when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. Like, what was the movie, what was the movie that got you into acting, or was it something else that got you into acting? I think it was something else. The movie, the movies that were on repeat were Thumbelina. Mm, interesting. Gone with the Wind. Oh, you I told no me about this. concept how unrealistic that was. <laughs> That's not what the South looked like back then. <laughs> pretty, you know, pretty tame. Um, all the slaves are, like, part of the family. Like, yikes. But as a kid, that was, I, I would go around the house I would, like, stand at the top of the stairs and be like, as God is my witness. Like, I would do the whole thing. Thumbelina, um, A Lifeless Ordinary was one oh, that's that a I was great obsessed with. Story. But what got me into acting? It was, it was story. Yeah. I just wanted stories, which is why this podcast is appropriate for me to be part of for this episode. Because, um... Yeah, I don't want to sit in a library and read to children. No offense <laughs> to anyone who does that. I'm sure you love it. But I would just, just I'd be bored out of my mind. Go find your own magic carpet. Yeah. That. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I think it started with Barbies. Oh, Playing yeah. Barbies. I, and creating story. And I remember like, and this is like smart, intelligent, fun girls. Me my too. Friends, they did it their own way. Oh, yeah. They like to do hair and Malibu Barbie makeovers and all that. And mine were always, like a lot of, I'm sure you were like this too, they were always in some kind of star-crossed love affair. Oh, yeah. Barbie or Ken or Milo Pony or the troll. One of them was always in some kind of more mortal Cross danger. Cross species, eh? <laughs> no, one of them oh. was always like hanging off the side of a bed about to die. Like there was always. So that acting out those stories and living in them i think that was the first um me and my sister used to play barbies with our friend sonia down the street and she had a ken and me and my sister had a ken and my brother had this like massive gi joe 
guy that used to call pointy tits because he had like these nipples. <laughs> like they were like like 12. <laughs> 12, 13. Probably a little too old to be playing for Barbies, but ours, yeah. Like we had this house and my, my sister had like pregnant Mitch and it was just, it was always like someone cheated on someone, unexpected pregnancy. Yes. Um, Days of our lives. Oh my God. It Go was so it. dramatic. Have fun. And we, my dad got us this video camera. We, the three of us, me, my brother and sister got together and we're like, this is what we want for a birthday. And my mom was like, no, it's too expensive. And then my dad got it for us. And then me and my sister would film these, that's so dramatic or something like that. And it would, we'd film the Barbies like turning in slow-mo like, Ken, how could you? Yeah. yeah. Cause we'd seen a few daytime soaps yes. on like our farmer totally. cable, but yeah, that, the, just the imagination. Well, Barbie and Ken would always move so slowly towards each other, and it was always this, like, tortured, forbidden kiss. Like, good grief. <laughs> just the, I was just always in front of the, the dollhouse. Just, there was always something juicy happening. So that was a big thing for me. Also, like, yeah, film and television, but, I mean, it was, it was Sesame Street and Barney and stuff that I watched audiobooks were a big, I'd say that's one of the big things that led me into storytelling. Like, um, The Witches by Roald Dahl. Oh, that's such a great story. I listened to that audiobook on repeat. And all the, like, I also love The Secret Garden and The Little Princess. I'm in the garden! (laughs) Oh my god! Like, no, but it just breaks my heart. But, But they're all kind of dark. Oh my god, and yeah, girl. Everything I, I used to get very always... sad in the secret garden, especially. Sorry, to inter- sidebar, spoiler alert. When like her mom gets blown away and the girl's just crying, she's like, <laughs> it was a nightmare. Oh, that used to. I used to have nightmares about that. But anyway, yeah. Well, those stories are just in my heart. And the witches, though, the performance aspect was I listened to it so many times that I basically, at like six years old, I had the audiobook basically memorized. Whoa. And so I would just perform it for myself instead of listening to it. And I would perform it on like car rides to Whistler. And my family would just listen to the witches through six-year-old April. No way. a lot of it was just sort of muscle memory, if that makes sense. Like I would say it exactly. You couldn't remember on page 32 the third sentence. No, no, I would say it exactly like the narrator did. Like it was in my the, ah. the, the sounds and the performance of it was in my body, just if that makes sense. Right, you just weren't like reciting the book from start to finish. Yeah, I would perform it, but I'd perform it like the narrator. And I remember like we'd be driving and I would perform the whole thing. So I'd go, The Witches by Roald Dahl, performed by Jean Marsh. <laughs> and my dad would be like, Performed by April. Okay, go for it. And I'm like, In fairy tales. <laughs> and I would just do like <laughs> And eventually I was like, oh, that's a name. Like, <laughs> Jean Marsh. Are you, oh, okay, you could like, do, so what, did Marsh. you watch the movie? Yes. The and you were like, this isn't. I like the movie, but not as much as the, the book. Mm. But the book, I mean, and all those stories were so dark. Like, one that still, oh, it gives me goosebumps is, is the, the grandma talks about their Norwegian witches and how they're the scariest and she tells the story of a little girl is walking home and a strange woman gave her an apple. She ate the apple and the parents' house had this huge oil painting with no people. It was just a countryscape. 
the girl never came home. And one day the dad went out to the living room and he yelped and his daughter was in the painting. Oh, that's she, creepy. She become like an oil painting. And through the years, she would like, one day she'd be feeding the ducks. The next day she'd be peering out at us through the window in the barn. And as the years went by, the girl in the painting got older. And the painting was passed down through generations. And she was an old lady in the picture. And then she just disappeared. And that story made me sob. But I could not stop listening to the witches. Like, it hurt so good. Yeah. So that's, like, another thing I discovered early on was how much I loved tragedy. And, and like, the catharsis of that. And terror. And, and so I think, you know, the the little princess and the secret garden those books sort of had that similar note for me yeah because they're so beautiful but they're dark well same with like black beauty i don't know if you watched that one the, about the horse yeah it's about a horse and every, like it's almost like laughable <clears throat> now but i just remember being very choked up and from a young age being like why would anyone i remember asking my dad like why would someone treat an animal like that my dad said well people weren't they didn't know any better at yeah. that time and they didn't they didn't view, they didn't even view women as people at that point in history. Why are they going to have a horse have more value over a woman? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting how many th- like when I look back at these stories. Are we good on time? We're good. When I look back on these stories, it's interesting what stick to the psyche, the kid's psyche, is archetypes, and it's symbolism. like writes on your slate, mm-hmm. like symbolism and archetypes and themes and you know as a kid what's the if you're lucky enough to have your parents or a guardian what's your worst fear is losing your mom or losing dad and so many kids kids stories are about orphans or kids who have been left behind and I had both my parents but that hit me so hard with those stories I remember there was one It wasn't the secret garden we talk about, the 93 version, the Warner Brothers one, which is so gorgeous. It was another one that was on TV, and I still think about this. I only remember this one scene, and I still think about it and get upset. And it's like right after the earthquake in India, and her parents are gone, and Mary Lennox is like in this marketplace, and there's fires and chaos and running horses, and she has her doll, And I was able to understand, like, we were able to understand that Mary Lennox's doll in that scene is the one thing in her life that loves her. Mm. This doll loves me. That's what the the kids find another way to feel loved. Yeah. Through toys. And these two men come to, like, take her to the docks to go to the orphanage or whatever. And she struggles and they take this fabric doll and they throw it into the fire Oh. And she watched it and she screams. And as a kid, I was inconsolable. Oh. I was so inconsolable because it was just, to me, just so horrific. And it's just interesting how those things stick to the brain. And just a quick anecdote, like, I don't know when I started having nightmares. Like, I don't know how old we are when we start having nightmares. But the first nightmare mm. I remember, I was five or six. And, it, and I look back at it and I'm like, I know where all those sort of like storytelling gems, like how they entered my psyche. I had a dream 
that my mom took my sister and I to the bank. It was the World Bank in Ocean Park in South Surrey. And, um, but we went inside in the dream and it was no longer a bank. It was this open, lit, gray room and there was no one there. And this man came out and he was gray and gray suit and he's very austere. And he, he took my mom away. He took her into a, a room and my sister and I were left behind and we went running through the bank and we went to the second floor and there was a big hole in the ground, like this black hole. And I jumped and I remember falling and looking up and my sister was like, wait for me and she jumped too. I remember this dream so clearly, like I had it last night. And I remember landing in the dream and it hurt. And I looked up and the gray man was there. And he said, we're taking your mom away. You're never going to see her again. Oh my God. Yeah. And I turned and there was like, it almost like, like a ticket booth, like a bank slot, but instead of a, a window dividing it, it was just a wall. So there was just this little like slot that you'd stick the money through. If that makes sense. Yeah. And my mom's hand reached through towards me. My mom has very distinct, pretty little hands, really pretty, delicate little hands with her wedding ring and her, like I knew my mom's hands yeah. and she reached for me and that was the only way I could say goodbye oh to my, my mom. It's horror, right? And I woke up so upset and every morning my parents would like, they'd have these chairs in, these room, in their room and they'd sit and have coffee and listen to the radio and I remember going in and climbing up on my mom's lap and she said, did you have any dreams? And I wouldn't tell her about it because I didn't want this, like, I didn't gray want man those images. No, no, no. I didn't want those images in my mom's brain. And I remember specifically saying I dreamt of bluebirds because I didn't want her to feel what I was feeling. And now it's like you tell your mom and she'll tell you it's not real and blah, blah, blah. Like, don't no, be but a hero, like, April. Those are... Five-year-old April. <laughs> don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. But those are points in our life, I think, where, like, things happen and it sends us on a trajectory somewhere yeah. else. But, uh, but the interesting thing is you look at the symbols in that dream and what a little girl's, how a little girl personified um, like, a cold attitude and, and a lack of compassion. And, you know, you think of the bankers in Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah. Who won't give compassion to Mr. Banks and they're miserly and about the money. That's what I associated with someone who would take my mom away, someone who's all about money and, and business and doesn't have a heart. So the bankers in Mary Poppins, that influenced the dream. Dumbo, when Dumbo's mom's rocking him to sleep through the bars of her cage, oh. that's where that image came from. Oh, totally. Like, just like as a kid, you always take in on all these story and stuff and it, stories and it, and it stayed in my psyche and to this day those stories and images and characters exist in my brain and I pull from them all the time. So do you have, did you get read bedtime stories as a kid? Mm -hmm. Do you have one that you would always ask for? Come Home Amelia Bedelia was a hit. What's a that? Little... Never heard Amelia this Amelia Bedelia? No, I'm, oh maybe God. I've heard it. She's a maid who gets everything wrong. Oh, bless her like, little heart. she's just... And like she, as an example, she was supposed to um, file some papers 
in an office and she files them with a nail file. Oh. In fact, there was an internet meme where someone like took a cover of an Amelia Bedelia book and just changed the title to Amelia Bedelia Fucks It Up Again. I was weeping. <laughs> yeah, so Come Home Amelia Bedelia was a big deal. Winnie the Pooh. Mm, yeah, I read a lot of Winnie the Pooh. Beatrix uh, Potter. Beatrix, yeah, Brawl Doll. Um, I just remember being a kid and loving that. Richard Munch was never in... You know, yeah, my parents didn't read a lot of him, but my I just remember that. Couldn't stand him. The one that's like, "How much do I love you?" or whatever. Oh, is remember? it like "Goodnight Moon" or something? No, no I love you so much. That one, my mom thinks it's like how you make an eatable complex. It was the funniest thing because it's like everyone's favorite book, and she was like, "Oh no, God, no!" Like, it's so funny. I think one of my favorite books growing up was this um, this fish who had this sparkly scale and he was like really showing it off and like really cocky I and arrogant the one you're talking about Keep and going. then nobody um uh, he he goes on a journey and nobody wants it like and then he no he has all the scales and then people start asking for them one by one and he gives them away and then oh. and then he has none left um and then some he meets someone and they they give him a scale, so he has one scale, and I just thought it was a great story. But I, re- I distinctly I remember, remember like, lying on my dad's chest and, like, listening to his voice through his chest and, like, hearing a story. And mm. I think, for me, story, like, hearing it in my head, I had such a vivid imagination. And I think as a kid, it was, like, it was like watching movies in yeah. my head. So yeah. I think that's why I'm really drawn to just a filmmaker. Actually, a couple times a week, we should take turns, like, reading each other a bedtime story. Like, okay, I'll be there in half an hour. Tuck you in. Brush your teeth. Good, good, <laughs> good night, April. That would okay, be so you're, like, great. in an armchair next to my bed. Hilarious. Yeah, no, there was, um, there was, nev- my godmother gave me this book. It was, like, a children's adaptation of, um, an Oscar Wilde story. Oh. And it reminds me of that. And I can't remember. It's called The Golden Prince and the Sparrow or something like that. But the, but the story is, and the, I, I obviously can't remember the title, but it's one I think about a lot. And the images are still in my brain. And there's this prince in the middle, like this statue in the middle of the town square. And he's this golden statue with gold flake skin and sapphire Ooh. eyes and ruby lips and like diamond studs in his sword. And there's poverty everywhere. And there's a, a little boy who's really sick and he's dying and all he wants is oranges. And his mom can't afford to give him oranges. So, so there's this sparrow who flies around the prince and the prince says, Sparrow, take flakes of gold from my skin and feed these people. Take the rubies and feed the little match girl. And he fe- the sparrow keeps taking physically taking things off the prince's person wow to feed the town and soon the prince is like hollow eyed and like and rusted you know and and barren but he fed the town and maybe i'm remembering it wrong but like the sparrow has this like conflict about it that like what about you and you're making me strip you of all that you are but it's feeding these people and Hmm. that just the fish one reminded me of that. Oh, totally. It's like that thing of, <laughs> I don't know, maybe that we identify in it because 
like I feel like I, I give a lot and uh, you know I've in my early life met a lot of takers mm-hmm. and then you cut them out as you get older yeah I remember um, Michael Toma he was my writing teacher at CAP taught me how to write a screenplay a screenplay like he taught me how to write a screenplay. Everything I know is from Michael Toma. He drilled into our heads typography, symbolism, format, uh, writing visually. Like he just, it's just all there because of him. And the last year he had us at the beginning of the semester write down on a slip of paper a common theme and all the stories we wrote. And I don't, I didn't remember what I wrote. But then at the end of the semester, after we had all written stuff, he pulled them out and he read them to the class. And it was uncanny. Everyone had that element. And mine was a character who's generous with themselves, like overly generous. There's always a character who gives too much of themselves. And Michael Tome is like that. I guess I wrote this horrible short called Sunny Snow Globe. And it's like a little girl in the snow globe has all the answers to the spelling bee. Like it's not not worth like ever being made. But the mom is like the character who had that trait. And Toma, it was like sort of this whimsical thing of like you. It was about finding your voice and committing to that. And knowing that that's the underlying thing. It'll always be there. And mm. yeah. That was pretty cool. But yeah, that theme of of just giving, like he's, the prince is literally taking from his body. Yeah. And, and feeding the world with his beauty. I just would love to ask Oscar Wilde about it. <laughs> Let's just dig him up. <laughs> just like, clear, cheat. Excuse me, sir. I know you're you deep know in summer. Words, maybe this isn't true. I read his last words where either the wallpaper goes or I do. I, I heard hope it was not... the, these drapes go. These, okay. <laughs> or the I don't. But something Those... to that effect. And <laughs> I I'm like, hope that's what he said, though, because that is amazing. What do you think? Like, if you could choose your parting words, what would you say? Well, I would want something hilarious <laughs> like that. There's a whole Wikipedia page of famous last words. Really? And some of them blow my mind. Marie Antoinette, she stepped on the executioner's foot. And she said, pardon me, sir, in French, obviously. Pardon me, sir, I didn't mean to. Oh, that was the last thing Lord. she said. Isn't that kind of, that kind of gives me a chill. Oh, yeah. Quite like, up until the you. end of her life. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. Screw you. Yeah. No, I would have totally. I, don't I know. was a queen. <laughs> yeah. Or there's also that fifth wife of Henry VIII. People say this isn't true, and it was just to sort of add some dignity to her story, even though she was an 18-year-old girl. Like, she, there was dignity. She was a young person. Yeah. But when, because um, she had an affair with the courtier Thomas Culpepper, because she was married <laughs> to, like, this guy 40 years older than him, and he had an open yeah. wound on his leg, and he was a monster. Yep. And rumor has it that she said before she was beheaded, I'd die a queen, but I'd rather die the wife of Thomas Culpepper. Oh. And they put it in the Tudors. But I don't know if she actually said that. Yeah, but. we'll never know. Well, remember, remember I told you I did that haunted ghost tour of Hampton Court when I was staying there with my family and my sister's in-laws? No. We stayed at Hampton Court and we snuck into the ghost tour at night. And the grand finale is you walk down this haunted gallery, this haunted hall that you'd never have an opportunity to walk down in pairs or alone because it's a busy museum. Right. 
rumor has it, because you walk past the big famous portrait of Henry VIII, like the one everyone recognizes, the original's in that hall. His ID photo. Yeah. For nowadays. Yeah, his headshot. <laughs> yeah. And it was like these giant doors. And the rumor has it, before she was dragged to um, be imprisoned in her chambers because the chapel's down the hall, she escaped the guards and she ran down the hall screaming and begging for her life. And was pounding on the chapel doors and she was dragged away and her head was cut off. But they say that her spirit still runs down the hall. Oh, and so the grand finale of this tour was walking down the hall in pairs or on your own. And I was supposed to walk down with my mother-in-law and there is this Scottish woman alone on the tour. And she's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't go alone. I can't go alone. And I was like, okay, you can go with Miriam. I'll go alone. And I'm thinking it's a short hallway. And the tour guide was like, brave soul. And like, <laughs> so like push these giant doors open, like out of Beauty and the Beast. And the hallway was like pitch black. It was just lit with like tea lights, like a foot apart. Oh my God. And is... I'm like, it's just one hallway. I'm fine. And I didn't make myself run. I was like, you do this. You be there for Catherine Howard. Because <laughs> you're pretty close to her age at this point. You can do it. I get to the end of the hall. My heart, I can hear my heart pounding. I turn and there's another really long hall. And I was like, so that one, I didn't run it, but I walked pretty quick. You're like, I was like, okay, I got this. I got it. I'm a brave soul. That is amazing. Yeah, it was pretty good. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Thank you for having me. That was, I really hope I don't have a nightmare tonight about a long hallway and tea lights and a guy going, you brave soul. Well, if you do, call me and yes. I'll come over and read <laughs> the scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or the fish. Or the other I'll booklet. pull up a rocking chair. <laughs> Put some glasses on. And just, or that book, Go the Fuck to Sleep, which I think is a great book. I'll read you that one. Please, I love it. I didn't really swear that much. I think I said, like, a couple swears. No. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, sorry, Mom and Dad. Oh, they're used to it at this point. My mom's favorite word is shit. That's her favorite <laughs> word. And also, she's like, don't say that. And I'm like, it's your favorite word. She's like, not out of your mouth. <laughs> 28. I gotta meet your mom. This sounds Did great. You haven't met my mom? No, I she's haven't. She's something else. <laughs> She's a little firecracker. Um, that was April Cameron. You can Google her. It's pretty standard. Month of April. Cameron's pretty common last name. Good to go. I have a SoundCloud with my voice demo. Yes, that's right. Where can they go? The SoundCloud. What's the app? I feel weird plugging myself now. Do it! I'm giving you a platform. April Francie on SoundCloud. I have an IMDB. I have, an, I have a Twitter that I never go on. Because I'm over to my Instagrams, April Francie. There I have an IMDb. So if you have any complaints, that's where you go for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't bother Carolyn. If you were offended, it's 100% something I said. You go to my SoundCloud. You make a bunch of mean comments. Go to my Instagram. Make a bunch of mean comments. Leave Carolyn alone. Yeah, if you have something nice to say, you can do that. Yeah, send your compliments to Carolyn. Send your criticism to my SoundCloud. It just has my voice demos and, like, me singing. It's great. You should check it out. Thumb- <laughs> <laughs>
I'm like, I can sing like a cartoon too. Um, no, there's a bunch of stuff coming out that I'm in that you're in. Yeah, it's great. Oh, there's an animated short called Soggy Flakes Ooh, that's done through Story High. Check Look it out. That one out. I voice a piece of cereal and she's super angry. And She's really fun. funny. I've watched it. I think it's really great. It's really, really good. I, I could see it on Adult Swim. Mm-hmm. So, guys, April Cameron, April Fran- Francie. April Francis Cameron. But yeah. the. April, oh, sorry, no, April Francie's my Instagram. handle on everything. But if you... <laughs> I thought you were asking Francie's my real name. I was like, what? No, yeah, but if you Google April Cameron, all the links will come up. Yeah. Okay. And also, if you just go to Carolyn's Instagram, there's pictures of me. It's, like, all pictures of me. Yep, Jesus. I'm so upset. Thank you for being my muse. I really appreciate you're it. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Carolyn. You're, you're so welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks, sweetheart. All right. Bye. Bye.